Here we go. Monday night, just past 7 o'clock, of course. Time once again for Ira on Sports. True Oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Ira's live in studio. I wasn't 100% certain you were going to make it back because sometimes you have these little travel snafus. We'll talk all about where you've been in just a second. But we're almost four games into the NFL season, and it's such a great sport in that you really never know what's going on. You're kind of in the dark, and you think, this team's really good, this team's not, and they can be humbled so quickly, brought back to life, or propelled to, to greater lengths every single week. Yeah, I mean, I think that's what uh, Tua was talking about and Mike Daniel of the, the Dolphins. It is this type of sport where you have to come ready to play, and nobody cares. You don't get you don't get carryover. You don't get, say, we put 70 points up against Denver, and who are talking about, should we have 73 and break the record? Those points don't, those points go away. Yeah. And you don't get that momentum, and, and you get don't get the carryover for the next week. Ira, where have you been? You're all decked out in Longhorns gear. I'll tell you this what, this was an awesome weekend. It was one of the greatest weekends, and I tell people to do things like this. I like to mix up. Uh, people say, why did you go to Texas versus Kansas? I've never been to Austin. I've never been to a Texas football game. It is one of the premier college football programs out there, and I really wanted to go to a game that I thought was pretty cool. I've seen Texas play in bowl games and away games, but never in Austin. I wanted to get that sense. So that was so much fun. It was everything I was hoping to go to the game there even though it was super, super hot, which I've never complained about the heat ever because <laughs> I'd rather be super hot than super cold and rainy. But it was really great to be there. And then I went back to Houston. I landed in Houston, drove to Austin, and then went back to Houston to see the Steelers play the Texans. And I didn't realize it was going to be J.J. Watt's uh, ceremony game mm -hmm. where they were putting him in the ring of honor, which was so cool to be there with the T.J. Watt and the whole thing. And then the fact the Steelers decided not to show up and play football. But it was <laughs> it was very it was a great time to be down in Texas. And I literally I flew in on Friday and went drove to Austin and then flew back. I, I, I was able to get a flight back to West Palm Beach right after the game on Sunday. So I was only there for like, oh, 36 hours, for four, <laughs> what, 50 some hours, whatever. It worked out well. And this is this is the Ira busy season. I know you've been to a game already, but this is when it, you start doing the two two per weekend, get a college game in. You got to do two in a weekend. You have to do it. Well, it's like you try to do Penn State and the Steelers, but it doesn't match up. But I'm trying to hit some. You know, I've been to 220 Penn State football games. I'm trying to hit some other of these great teams. Last year I was at Auburn. I was at for the Auburn game. For I was at Athens for a game. So just trying to get a couple some of these iconic stadiums because I've been to how many more times do I have to go to Northwestern? I was going to say how many times have you seen them play Northwestern? But yeah. So. <laughs> So on Wednesday afternoon, the collective sales were taken out of uh, South Florida, wind taken out of the South Florida sales as it was revealed that Dame Lillard, who we thought was coming to Miami, is in Indeed, not going to Miami. Uh, he's he's heading to Milwaukee, which not it's like insult to injury that going from not your team to the best team in the East now. We have a guest coming on who's probably the, the foremost person in the in the country to talk about this, Bob Whitson at 7.30. He was the uh, general manager of the Portland Trailblazers and the Seattle Supersonics, which are now the Oklahoma City Thunder. People don't realize they the same team. But anyway, he was part of the – he was the general manager of the Portland when they traded one of their star – last big star player was Clyde Drexler. And when he had – we had him on the show three months ago, and he, I'm going to tell him he made the prediction. He says it's not going to happen right – it'll only happen right before training camp. Um, he expects, like, uh, just a couple calls if the Heat – if there's a deal to be made. And uh, Drexler initially did not want to go to Houston, and they ended up convincing him that was the best deal, and that's where he went. So he almost predicted what was going to happen, that it was not, don't be so certain it's going to be to Miami. But uh, and then, but also then Drew Holiday, then the fact is, look for multiple teams to get involved. The fact that they made the trade, and then Drew Holiday was then uh, traded from Portland to Boston. So now the Heat are upset because they got that above, supposedly, you know, Boston looks improved, and, and Milwaukee looks improved, and the Heat have not made no moves. So. Yeah, it's, it's, it's just deflating because it just seemed like he was coming here. Yeah, maybe because he said 
said he wanted to, but regardless, Pete got to push on. I'm sure Pat Riley will figure something out. At Ira on Sports, follow anywhere on social media. See some great pictures from this weekend and any events that Ira's been to in the past decade plus. Let's jump into the NFL. And normally we start with the game that you were at uh, this past weekend. We'll do that in just a minute. First, let's start off with Miami Dolphins. We talked about them already. This was a team riding high. And we knew the game versus Buffalo was going to be difficult. They played really good in Buffalo, though. And they played really good with a backup quarterback. Last year, wasn't the case. I mean, every time you looked up, Josh Allen was just imposing his will on the Dolphins. Big loss, 48-20. to yeah, I mean, Buffalo's now won eight straight against Miami, 12-2 and two in their last 14 up in Buffalo. Um, Josh Allen's career versus the Dolphins is 10-2. and two. He's thrown almost 40 touchdowns with seven interceptions. Uh, it's, I think, one of those games where we talked about where I felt like Buffalo, that first game against the Jets with Aaron Rodgers, was just such a weird game, and he threw the interceptions, got a lot of criticism. And since then, he's like, look, I, everyone else is all nice, but I'm going to play and I'm going to score. And, I mean, you look at the, his uh, what, their first possessions were just they had three touchdowns. They scored on the first three times they got the ball. They got a touchdown. Then they punted. Then they got another touchdown and they got a field goal. So that's how you get 31 14 in this in the first half. And this is what the Dolphins' problem was. You know, Vic Fangio, they improved their defense, but their defense just could not stop Buffalo at all. In the second half, they start out field goal, touchdown, touchdown. And that's how you win a game, you know, yeah. where you just continually are scoring touchdowns and, uh, and the game's over. And Miami just couldn't keep up. They, they scored, but they just couldn't keep up. And that was the problem. And that's one of the concerns that people had is that they just could not stop him. Josh Allen was 21 for 25 with four touchdowns. Um, and then the problem, you know, Tua, he was okay. And you, and you can't be okay. You can't be 280, 282 yards. But he had four sacks, which he had one sack in three games, and he threw an interception. But it was like Tyreek Hill, three catches, 58 yards. And Stefan Diggs, you can see Diggs was sort of taking this game as like, okay, I, everyone's forgetting about me. I'm a great, I'm elite. And Diggs considers himself the best wide receiver in the league. Six catches, 120 yards, and three touchdowns outshining Hill. But I think that aspect of the game made Buffalo really you know, dominating in terms of the game. One of the things that I think was an issue for the Dolphins is – it got off their game script. You know, they want to run the ball now. They're running the ball fantastic, you know, coming into this game. They still ran the ball pretty good. But the passing game, you can't run the ball when you're down by 20 points. And that's kind of the situation they got into. Devon A. Chain, another massive game. The wide receivers were quiet, though. And this is a game, you know, you got Hill versus Diggs. You, you want to see fireworks. They kept Hill really quiet. And Von Miller is coming back now for the for Buffalo. A little bit worried in my in Miami Dolphins camp. Yeah, well, Buffalo. I'm not worried, but the fact is that it. it I think it's a good wake up call, but it just shows that the Denver game was a mirage. That it, that they that it's great that you could run. You're not going to be playing. It, you win the Super Bowl because you beat good teams. You don't win the Super Bowl because you run up points on Denver. And I that's think good that's good what a lot of these teams I've seen enough and call it from college football and from pro football that you see teams that are like they are experts at beating bad teams, but when they go against a really tough opponent, they have struggle. Miami has got to get up to that level where they're going to go against a tough opponent. We saw that last year though against San Francisco. They struggled in that game. They really had trouble in San Francisco, and they didn't play well. They got it. They have got you know they they have got to win these tough games where the the defenses are going to be playing Hill and Waddle close and, and somehow scoring. And we're learning now that Denver's really terrible. I mean, they they had they had Justin Fields looking like Patrick Mahomes yesterday. So hopefully we get a chance to talk about that. Got to talk about your Steelers though, Ira. This was not a good loss. Um, Thirty to six, the final here. Houston beating. Pittsburgh. I think the story here, though, and we were talking before we went on air, my bandwagon team this year is the Houston Texans. I, I like everything about this team. I love C.J. Stroud. 
And this is looking more and more like we're not in a rebuild anymore. Like, we're trying to make the playoffs. Congratulations to D'Amico Ryans. They said defensive coaches can't make it in this league anymore. He seems to be doing pretty darn good. And he brought in an offensive coordinator from San Francisco. And if you're watching these teams, Miami, Houston, uh, they are look a little, they look a lot like San Francisco mm -hmm. and how they play. I'm going to give you one play. I think it was a touchdown in the fourth quarter that Stroud threw. What he threw was a great pass uh, to Nico Collins. He comes back after he throws a touchdown. And I'm trying to get a good picture of him. And I couldn't get a picture because every single player from the Texan squad is coming up to him. Not He's not running up to the players. They're coming up to him to say, great play, great play, great play. I mean, I have never seen that was amazing. Like you could just see the camaraderie, but the fact is, total respect. He knows what he's doing. He is tall. You know, when I said we're going to talk about some other quarterbacks, he looks like a quarterback out there. Yeah. He's tall. He can see the field. He's poised. He runs when he does his Christmas. He doesn't know how to run. He ran when he had to run. He knows how to make plays. I thought it was a perfect game. I mean, in the first half, he, the first drive, it was third and three on the five. Stroud ran in for a touchdown, but then they said, "Oh, it's you're on the one inch line." <laughs> they start the fireworks. Everything's excited. They won't even the roof is closed. It was like a 15 minute. Delay and there was a delay that they said that they scored, but no, he's down at the one inch line. But then they run the first play uh, procedures. Now it's third, you know, now it's first and goal, but back to the five. And then he throws for a touchdown, but no, there was a legal motion. So they took, so two times they had the fireworks go off, two times the touchdowns. Then it's sickle, <laughs> then they threw it in the intercept. There was, it was like the whole, it was all a mess. But it was one of those things where you're saying, you know what, they're going to, it's going to, it's going to just end up a field goal or it's going to end up a turnover. It's going to be a change. He scores a touchdown. He figures it out and scores it. And I think that's what, you know, the, the Pittsburgh threw an interception. Houston goes back to make it 13-0, and then Pittsburgh punts it. And the Houston defense, it's, they are the perfect team because they're up 16-0 at halftime. They come out, the Steelers were fired up in that second half. But um, but really, I just think that the Steelers had to settle for a first and goal, for a, they had, and they got scored a field goal, then they got another field goal. And then the key play of the game, fourth and one on the Houston 33. This score was not 30-6, to six, it was 16-6, and Pickett goes in shotgun for like, you know, they needed a half a yard, and he doesn't get it, they get sacked. And I I tell you, I have a video. I put that up on my Instagram. You saw that video. I have, that team, It looks like they won the Super Bowl. Like that, that defense <laughs> was so fired up on that play. But that is just an example of just how Houston played. Their defense played great. Their offense played great. And you talk about these teams. It, it's like they're they're one team. They are literally. They almost look like a high school football team where everybody plays offense and defense. They are. He's done a great job. And Stroud. Everyone's sleeping on the Texans. It's totally sleeping on them. It's everyone's buying in. And I guess that's what a good coach. And a good young quarterback will do. The people, especially some people that have been on the Texans for a few years, kind of going through the Davis Mills, you know, Lovey Smith. Lovey like, Smith. Well, we got some consistency now. Like, let I'm, let's build here. Like, we're we're a playoff team, and every week they seem to get better. I I, I just. I find myself love watching this team, and I'm, I'm fortunate it had to happen to your Steelers, but w what a performance there, top to bottom. Do you want to talk about the stadium at all? You've been to NRG before, but never for football. No, it's one of the one of the five last stadiums I haven't been to, so I wanted to go there for football. Um, I don't like the one aspect stadium is like going out of the stadium and walking around and seeing bars and restaurants. It's 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 close to Houston. It's only a few miles outside the city, but you go outside and there's like a Walmart. Well, there's a Walmart right outside the stadium, then <laughs> it's not like that exciting. Um, there's just a few hotels. The Astrodome is sitting there next door, which is one of those famous buildings in the world. I like the fact there's lots of entrances. I also like the fact when you go in the stadium, there's the concourses are huge. They're not like the old Yankee Stadium where you couldn't even walk oh, through. I hated that. And <laughs> yeah, so you can go to the bathroom and you can get food. I like that. The team store stunk, which I was shocking considering Tampa Bay's team store is so nice and it was so great with that. But um, I sat down 40-yard line, 15 rows up. Now, if you go to the Dolphins games now, they renovated their stadium where that seat would be a club seat. And the newer stadiums, this stadium is like 15, 20 years older, but um, they, it's not a club seat. So I didn't get it. But I didn't really want 
want it to, you know, when I go to a football game, I want it to be in, you know, I wasn't going to watch with so much festivities. I didn't need to be have the club for that. But there was no club when you're sitting like 15 rows when normally other stadiums you would have. I did like the fact that the scoreboard is on one side. And I hate it when it's on the top. So because the roof opens, so they can't really put it there. But the way it was set up, I thought that was cool. The scoreboard, it was a good scoreboard and, you know, you could follow everything. Except that, again, they don't put the, the scores of the other games. I just oh, need I it. I, I just, I mean, I need to know what's going on yeah. with my fantasy <laughs> and everything else. So, but from that aspect, I, I did like it. And I, I'll tell you what was, what the Steelers missed about this and I missed, I'm like, oh, there's a J.J. Watt ceremony. Well, J.J. Watt, if you say who's the t most popular Texan, there's probably one person people He's can mention. The, the, all four of the Mount Rushmore. <laughs> yes, he is the entire Mount Rushmore. <laughs> and they were putting him on the Ring of Honor, and he comes out there, and he just, and he was carrying around, in case people were going to boo him, he carried around his one-year-old son named Koa, who was the cutest kid in the world. So he's carrying Koa the whole time around, and it wasn't like he came out for halftime, and it was like this small little ceremony. Before the game, an hour four, he's meeting every one of the players. He's talking to all the players. He's talking to all the Steeler players, because his brother, what was neat about it was TJ, his brother, plays on the Steelers. Yeah. So they're over. Tomlin comes over. It is just great to see every thing in before they do the coin flip he's out there with Koa with his little mm -hmm. one-year-old and TJ's there and Derek his other brother who played for the Steelers was out and then he fires the cannon so it was all involved everybody had 99 on there they had 99 everywhere that's his number so I thought that aspect was really cool and I think that's something that that um, the Steelers didn't understand that as much as it was like 60-40 Steeler fans, which I think at best 50-50, but the Houston fans were into this. They loved it. And I think anything had motivated the Houston players because at halftime when they give his small little speech, they had like 100 ex-Houston players there mm -hmm. that were, of course, talking to the team. They, did, they wanted to, to show how important it was. So I really, that aspect of it I liked. And, and it is amazing with J.J. and T.J. who will both be in the Hall of Fame, the fact that you have Peyton and Eli and you have uh, the Kelseys, Travis and Jason. You're going to have three sets of brothers. I think there was Maybe like three. Maybe the Boses. And, and the Boses, too. 317 players are in the Hall of Fame. There's 25,000 people have played football. The fact that, that for sure you're going to have three sets of brothers is amazing. And then maybe Taylor Swift would come in with Travis and Jason. <laughs> I think she would have to be in the Hall of Fame and something. So I thought that was that was really impressive. But, you know, and the one other one other little aspect about the game I saw from the Steelers' perspective, no separate. When you're at the game, you see things, they do not get separation. George Pickens, who I love as a wide receiver, and it's like they was covered. It's almost like they were playing with 22 people on defense. There was never a Steeler open, and Pickens is great at catching the ball, but if you don't get, I mean, I remember watching Antonio Brown, and one of his greatest skills was he was always open. He was always open because he's so fast, that first step, like when I saw Messi, that first step, the second step, be able to explode. I just don't know if the Steelers have that, and that, that is concerning, and especially when your offensive line doesn't do well, and you have Pickett as a problem. So I think Deontay Johnson hurts too. It, misses, it hurts. Uh, they just and and they can't. And we got to talk about their play calling. Matt Canada. I mean, the Steeler fans are furious. They want him fired yesterday. They didn't <laughs> want him to come back. And it is it is that aspect. I keep asking my friends: Is it because the wide receivers are not getting separation, or is it because they're calling plays that are so easy for the defense to know what everybody's doing? And that's the situation. But uh, this is Iron Sports at seven seventeen. True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo at seven thirty. Bob Witz, at former NBA and NFL uh, executive, will join us talk about what happened here in the NBA over this last week. So I don't want to turn Iron Sports into Swifty Hour like the rest of uh, sports media has. But it stands to be mentioned. That was the most watched Sunday night football game of all time. Because <laughs> Taylor Swift was there. Here's another interesting stat. 
that you could bet in Vegas on how many times they would show Taylor Swift was on the screen. Was it 17? Over, under was 15. It went over 17. 17. <laughs> so, I mean, she's taken over the NFL. This is just bizarre. But but, but I do like the fact that, so, so she came with Ryan Reynolds, Hugh Jackman, and Blake Lively. I mean, what is, it? What is Hugh Jackman doing? Like, but it was, you know, at least when she's there, they show so many of these celebrities at the game, and they're just sitting there bored. They're like, I'm here because I have to be. I go to tennis all the time, so I see it. Like, I think Nick Kyrgios should date Taylor Swift because, because he wants his box to be into his match and she was into it every time they showed she her is. she's excited she's enthusiastic she has that and i like that i mean that is cool and not just sitting there she's not just drinking caviar you know eating caviar and having whatever she's standing up she's cheering i think that is but it's pretty it is amazing now the question is they said that kelsey was leaving her apartment and i can't get the right answer on this i'm looking at all the sources did was he leaving it sunday if he was leaving sunday morning he should have been in the hotel on saturday but then i saw another word he was there on saturday went back like i'm a little confused I have, i've been trying to avoid the thing Taylor Swift I just don't know if he gets, he's a curfew violation of if that's what that is in terms of what he's been doing. But, you know, it's interesting they talk about where he went. It, it is it is pretty neat to have the fact that Taylor Swift, like, if I had a sport and I was trying to get that, I would say, could you date one of our players or one of our teams? Because it certainly adds a lot of popularity. And as it's for the tight ends, think of the tight ends now. No one gave tight ends any credit. Tight ends were nothing. No one talked about tight ends. Now you have Rob Kringrowski, who's doing every commercial you can imagine for Skechers, for all these other things. And now you have Travis Kelsey, who's doing all the commercials. So, it, you know, good for tight ends. It's yeah. not just the quarterback who's going to get the. You see Kittle a lot too yes, doing sponsorships this is, this and endorsements. Is, I feel good for tight. If I'm, they interview some other these tight ends and they're like, "This is great." You know, <laughs> these nameless, faceless players are getting some. That would just need offensive linemen maybe to get more publicity. That's it. You know, who's loving this is uh, Roger Goodell. Yes, <laughs> all the publicity that they're getting. So let's talk about this game. And this was one. I will admit I was totally wrong on this one. I'm looking at the line. It started at nine, comes to seven, and I'm like, this should be 14 points. There's no way the Jets can keep it close. Zach Wilson might have played his best game of his career. Patrick uh, Mahomes stumbled a little bit to the Jets' D. It ended up being a great game. I was so happy. I was on the plane coming back, and they had DirecTV. On the way over, they didn't have DirecTV on Friday when I was flying on Friday morning, and I wanted to watch it, and they, it said, we have DirecTV on the plane. I'm like, oh, excited. And then I asked my attendant, I go, I don't, can't find the DirecTV. Like, what button do I push? And they're like, you should just be happy you have a screen, and there's some sort of programming. I'm like, oh, well, not really. When it's not sports, it's not happy. <laughs> so, but they yeah, had Ira doesn't watch Golden Girls. No, I, I, from 20 years ago. But I did love the fact that I could watch the game. And I saw the rest of the plane watching the plane, too, with, with the game, which is awesome uh, also. But, uh, no, it was 17 nothing, And I really think Kansas City just sort of, they just got relaxed. And then you got the safety in the end zone that made it 17-2. And then another turnover. And then he threw the interception, which I thought, as much as people complained from the Jets fans that there was pass interference, I did think it was on the first interception that Mahomes threw his pass interference on the Jets on that that caused that. But you can see, we, look, we've talked about Kansas City all the time. They just get bored sometimes in these games. Yeah, they do. Sometimes it's the beginning of the game where they're bored, like against Jacksonville, where they sit around and like, what are we doing? And they wake up and they it's like they'll do whatever they have to do to win. That's why you don't like to bet Kansas City in the, you know, to cover the spreads all the time, because they do mess around in these games. And and but was there ever a doubt? And then at the end of the game, like they could have scored another touchdown, but Mahomes is smart enough to, to slide down. Uh, but no, Zach, the question for the Jets is Zach now, you know, Zach Wilson was we can't play him, he can't be a quarterback now. Oh, he's better, he's this and that. And I, and I think that's what you're gonna see with Zach Wilson. Just like a Steeler fan with Kenny Pickett. Some games he looks great. Some games he looks bad. That's why they're 500 quarterbacks, and that's why there's other quarterbacks like that are superstar quarterbacks. Yeah, those were the best games of the week, of course. Moving into some of the other games, San Francisco, you watch this team. They can beat you every single way possible, and they do. And, and like Watching every team and watching them, they're playing a different sport, it seems like. And me and you talked before we went on air about this. 
right now Christian McCaffrey's my MVP. I know it's basically a quarterback's award, but Christian McCaffrey's the most impressive player in the league right now, and this team is rolling. Who can beat these guys? Yeah, he's had four touchdowns in the game. He could have had five, but Purdy ran it in at the end, and uh, Shanahan says that I didn't know that he was going for the record of five touchdowns in the game. <laughs> he had 177 yards from scrimmage, 106 on the ground, 71 in, uh, from the pass. Uh, he's a touchdown in 13 straight games. The record is 15 from OJ and John Riggins. Um, this was San Francisco now. I don't think people realize how good they are. They've won 14 regular season games in a row. If you count the playoff games, this has been like, they're probably 50. The only game they lost is when they had lost all their quarterbacks and had to play the Eagles with Christian McCaffrey as their quarterback. And this team is rolling, and they've been rolling, and they just keep getting better. They are Miami with a better offense and a better defense. Um, uh, Brock Purdy, 20 for 21, 283 yards, one touchdown. Uh, he's 9-0 in his nine starts. The 49, I got some stats that are just I can't even believe they've had they had 30 first downs in the game. But how about on third down? So you think teams usually have 15 third downs in a game? They either make seven for 15, five for 15. They only had five third downs five times. That means they're, they're getting first downs on first down. They're going first down, first down, second down to first down. They're not even putting themselves in a problem. They had they're averaging you know eight. They had eight drives. They're averaging eight yards of play. And it's like they can do. They have so many weapons. They can do it. They had Brandon, Brandon Ayoku last game had like one catch. This game is eight catches, 150 yards. Debo Samuel did not have a catch. Greg Criddle had one catch they just can beat you any way they want and I'm just thinking they play the Cowboys next week and the Lions three and a half and I'm like San Francisco is going to kill them because I really think not kill, they will cover the spread because I think Dallas is very good itself but the fact is I, I am so impressed San Francisco to me is by far the best team in the NFL and uh, and they protect themselves here if Brock Purdy gets hurt they got Sam Darnell as a backup quarterback and give Arizona a little bit of credit too this team plays hard once again they can lose but they're not losing on purpose this team's out there to play no they, they, they hung in there and that you know again again they're one and three and they've had really you know they upset Dallas the week before they come back and what a schedule play Dallas one week and San Francisco the next pretty difficult and the Giants too eh? don't forget <laughs> them um, game in London love waking up and, and having football ready to go I'm not sold on Jacksonville though I, I thought this team was going to take the next step they got the win but Trevor Lawrence doesn't look amazing you got to win the games on your schedule Atlanta's not great 23 to seven is the final here but I don't know if Jacksonville's a playoff team to me. I think they probably are, and I'll say this: I, I, their division, Atlanta, but. Atlanta was terrible, and I just the Desmond, as someone who drafted Drake London in their fantasy league, and watching Atlanta struggling on offense, and I thought, you know, after the first two games they looked great, but now, you know, they 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 blew the lead against Green Bay. Now they have this game, and I just think that their their offense has not been doing well. And I, the question is: Is Desmond Ritter going to be an NFL quarterback? And he does not look like one right now. They cannot complete passes. They have Kyle Pitts. They have all these superstars on offense that are not producing anything. They should be having they. So much talent, but uh, Trevor Lawrence was better. 270, 207 yards, one touchdown. I like the fact that he's getting back to Christian Kirk, throwing to him at eight catches, 84 yards. I think, I, look, from that aspect, it was a good win for Jacksonville. But I, I think I'm more looking at Atlanta saying, wow, what is happening with this team? But that uh, opens up. Remember, they're in the Tampa division, and Tampa looks like they're by far the best team in the division without Tom Brady, which is amazing. It, it is amazing. Let's talk about that game. Man, the Saints look bad. And we, we talk about coaches on the hot seat all the time, but Dennis Allen's got to be right up there. I'm going to give them a little bit of a pass because we don't know when Derek Carr started practicing. He might have, you know, just got out of bed Sunday ready to play, not practicing all week. But he looked terrible, and that team in general just doesn't look good. And, look, they bring Baker Mayfield in. They're like, is he going to lose the job to Kyle Trask? Is he going to? Is there anything left with Baker Mayfield? And he has played great, and this Tampa team has played great. And I think I'm going to say there is something left over from what Tom Brady did to this team. It's sort of the 
magic dust that he spread on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers <laughs> because it, you can see it filters into how they play, the intensity they play. So even though he left, his his, his uh, you know is what is, has helped them. The fact that when he taught them how to win, and I, Godwin had a big game, but boy, they destroyed the Saints and uh, their defense is playing really well. But I think Baker is. But you could watch when you watch the game. Baker is now he's avoiding it and not just throwing. He knows when he gets in trouble and he's scrambling out of the pocket. He knows how to complete the pass and the receivers know how to help him. I think the fact that Godwin and Evans played with Brady and recognized you know what they have to do. I think it's helped them. They're better wide receivers because of it. I really like. I mean, Tampa is going to be in the playoffs. Like they're they're playing well. It's, it's almost a certainty. And you're right. I think that the veteran smart receivers Godwin and Evans are helping him exponentially by covering up his flaws by knowing what to do. It's easily the best receiving core he's ever had. So I'm happy for them. And you know, we, we want Tampa to be good. You go to a half a dozen games. <laughs> Not this year, year, but I'll go to some, yes. <laughs> Going back to Thursday night, Detroit and Tampa uh, Detroit and Green Bay. This was a game I was excited for. And this was kind of I want to say Detroit's coming out party a little bit. They were national TV, and they win, and, and they beat up on Green Bay 34-20 to 20 the final, and it really wasn't that close. I took oh, uh, Detroit played better you know, the entire game. Most of these games that were were mostly blowouts of this this year. This week has not been a great week, but Detroit, I was the doubter on them, And but Jared Goff, when they made that trade for Goff for Stafford, that worked out perfectly. Matt Campbell or uh, uh, Campbell uh, is, is great. Jack it's, Campbell? Uh, is is no their coach? Oh, Dan, uh, Dan Campbell. Dan Campbell. Dan Campbell. Dan Campbell. <laughs> I'm getting all my Campbells confused, <laughs> but he is he's great. And the fire and and they are playing well now. That, and they chose to run. You know, sometimes they pass it. But Montgomery, hundred some yards, running well. Like they are able. Their defense is playing. I, I'm starting to really like this team. And I was not. That was a bad. It was you know a, a big game for Green Bay. It was on prime time. They played terrible. Jordan Love played awful. Was not happy with how it was. It was a good win. Detroit now they've now four and zero the last four games against the Packers. I'm. That was unbelievable. They've been, you know, 4-0 against the Green Bay They've Packers. been drafting really well. They took the draft picks they got from the trade for Jared Goff. They drafted good players with that. That's how you build a team. And they're like we were talking about earlier with buying into D'Amico Ryans. These, this team's bought in to Dan Campbell. They're, they're all in on him. Baltimore and Cleveland. And this was a game that I really didn't know was going to happen. And then it comes out kind of last minute that Deshaun Watson's not going to play. And you have to think that this is going to be tough for, for uh, DR, DR, DTR in his first start. And it, it proved to be because uh, Baltimore looked pretty good. Yeah, 28-3. to Considering uh, considering Baltimore was only favored by a point and a half in the game. And they ended up winning by 25 and just totally destroying it. it Cleveland doesn't have Nick Chubb. And now you're questioning then their defense fell apart. They could stop Baltimore. This AFC North is just weird. I mean, it's between the Steelers, the Browns, the the Bengals, a, what a division! It's just it's and the Ravens. The Ravens now are three and one. So now the Ravens have put themselves in position. It's like, well, Cincinnati doesn't want to get their act together. If Cleveland doesn't want to get their act together. And the Steelers don't. We're just going to win this division and go play in the playoffs. And Lamar Jackson is going to be in the playoffs. So this this was to me, I was intrigued by this game because of how easily. Ball, I mean, Baltimore gave the week. The last week they lost in Indy playing mistake football, and they really need to. I mean, they like to play all their games close. It was nice for them to have a blowout, which I don't like the Ravens. But the fact <laughs> is they. But they're going in next week playing the Steelers, so that's a huge game uh, against the Steelers. We'll get to Bob Witsit here in just a minute on Iron Sports, but Cincinnati and Tennessee, and and I went to college in Tennessee. I still have, have very good friends there. They're all Titans fans, and they we talk about a, a, a typical Titans game. Typical Titans game is they score 15 points on five field goals. It's ugly. They're not pretty games. And then you see what they did to Cincinnati, and you're looking around like, wow, Cincinnati really is that bad. I don't know what's wrong with Joe Burrow. He's obviously hurt, but... 
It's time to really be worried in, in Cincy. They were outgained 400 to 200 yards. Cincinnati was outgained. Um, the fact that they were only two for nine on third down. Burrow had another terrible game, 165 yards. Jamar Chase is saying, I'm open on every play. There's fighting between the both. It's a mess. And I think that this is one thing is like, when is Cincinnati, when it, you know, that's why he's playing. Uh, is this a team, Cincinnati Bengals, that people predicted to go to the Super Bowl. So when you're seeing a Super Bowl team struggle this much, that's a big problem. I was convinced they were going to the Super Bowl. And now, um, not, they may not the Super Bowl, but AFC Champions game but you look at them and they're getting worse every week i think we do have uh, bob witson on the line bob are you there i'm here awesome we gl so glad to have you here ira what do you have for bob bob again i think you want to congratulate you i think your book is coming out is it next week called game changer and insider stories of the sonics resurgence and the trailblazers turnaround the deal that saved the seahawks yeah, it comes out on the 10th. I'm pretty excited about it. <laughs> That's great. We had you on. Of, I, I want to call you, we'll start calling you Nostradamus, because we had you on, I think, about three months ago when Dame Lillard requested a trade, and you said, hold your horses, Ira. I think what's going to happen is that it's going to be decided right before training camp. Don't think he's going to go to Miami just like everyone else thinks he's going to be. They're going to look at all their options, and uh, you were, uh, and it goes, it's going to be involved multiple, multiple teams with a number of trades. I think everything that you said came true. Well, we, we, we should have went to Vegas. <laughs> well, and what do you think about in terms of how this went down, in terms of the trade for uh, in, when, when Dame goes now to Milwaukee and then they turned the, Drew, the Milwaukee trade into Drew Holiday and then traded Drew Holiday to the Boston Celtics and ended up getting uh, three first-round. Everything that they sort of wanted, that, you know, people saying the three first-round draft picks, some young players, those type of things. Well, it's, uh, first of all, it's exciting for the NBA. Anytime you get a deal like this, especially right before training camp, it just gets the big buzz going. But uh, I was just on in Portland. They were asking about the Blazers' end of it, so I'll start there. It's very, it's really hard to, to trade a franchise player, uh, but when they give you the air cover of asking for a trade, it's a little bit easier. But I think they, they came out of it pretty good because they now have a direction. They've got... They've got Aiton, who's a young center. They've got their their guards. They've got you know Sharp Simons and Scoot Henderson. They've got Jeremy Grant. They if they keep Rob Williams, so they've got a, a group that's together contractually for the next three four years. They're young, and you know where they're going. I think if you're Milwaukee, you were already in the win it now mode. You just put a few more chips in the pot. Plus, you had a little noise coming from Giannis talking about the future. I think when you bring Dame onto the roster and he's got four years on a contract, that hopefully will get Giannis to commit even longer term for you. But, uh, you know, Boston, I think Boston and Milwaukee are probably the, the two top contenders right now. Boston didn't waste any time. I think Drew Holiday is a fantastic player. Uh, we don't talk enough about the defensive end, but that's a lot more important in the playoffs. And uh, I think it was a great move for Boston. So um, Phoenix is the only one I'm not sure about. You know, they they got Nurkic. Uh, they, for, for whatever reason, they soured on on, on Aiton. If Nurkic uh, can stay healthy, he's also a solid center. So uh, I think the two Eastern teams each got better. I think Portland's got direction. Uh, Miami's Miami. I mean, they, they haven't used up any of their chips. They might just come back with what they have, but uh, uh, they're smart. They're always good. They're always competitive, and they always find a way to, to make a big deal. So I never worry about the Heat. The fact they didn't get, in fact, they didn't get Lillard, they probably have their eyes on something else, whether it's today or next summer. They, they, they're they're, they're well run, and they do, a, they do a great job. 
I played back our interview from three months ago, and I asked you the question. I go, is Miami going to be talking to Portland? Are they going to make a zillion calls? And as you, as someone, uh, you traded Clyde Drexler from the Portland Trailblazers to Houston. You mentioned when you when Clyde walked in and said, I want to be traded, he had some teams in mind, and, and Houston wasn't one of them. And, and you're like, you convinced him later that that's, that might be that the best move for him. But you said, no, you don't expect that there will be a zillion calls back and forth. And it ended up, they're saying that Miami only had that one initial call, and there really wasn't that constant communication between the Heat and the Trailblazers. Well, one thing in, in, in the NBA, and it's, it's also true when I was in the NFL, uh, there shouldn't be, but there's always a little ego involved in these things. There can be history, there can be uh, relationships, and sometimes when you make trade requests really public, and, and everybody uses the media to some extent, so that's not anything new, but sometimes teams take the bait and they, they, they come to you and other teams sometimes are pushed away by that, and, and, and there's no right or wrong. So uh, sometimes people don't like to feel like they're getting boxed in, and maybe if you're boxing me in, I may not call you back. So other times if you throw it out there in the media, uh, maybe I'll take the bait and I'll call you a little bit. So there's always a little gamesmanship. There's uh, kind of knowing who you're dealing with and have you dealt with them before and how might they respond. So. There's always a little game within the game, and, and you never really know the right way to get things done. Do you think Dame overplayed his hand a little bit, or maybe his agents per se, in terms of the demanding a trade and saying, I, I, this is the team I want to go to, not even giving him a list of teams, and sort of, I want to go to this team, and that sort of that made maybe Cronin, uh, the GM of Portland, a little you know, gun-shy to maybe trade him to the Heat? I think once you say, I want to trade, that's really the end of it, because the agent has, and the player, you know, they can – if they want, they can quietly say, hey, here's the teams I'd love to go to. But the reality is they're not in the driver's seat. They've got four years on a contract, and wherever you trade them, they're going to play. They're not going to give up, you know, whatever they have, a couple hundred million dollars left on the contract. They're going to come in and play. So you don't want to overplay your hand. I think the, the way to do it is simply to say, hey, I've been here 11 years. I love the city. I love the franchise. Uh, we haven't made the playoffs the last couple of years. I'm 33. Uh, I want to take the pressure off the franchise and let them know I'm open to a trade. So you, you kind of take the heat off them so they, 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 they don't look like a bad guy. And then leave it at that. Then you go in quietly and say, by the way, here's the teams I'd love to play for if you can work it out. But the team's going to shop around and find the best deal for the team, and, and then they're going to go from there. You mentioned uh, during our – I can't wait to read the stories when you talk about it in your book at Game Changer that's coming out next week, but about your, the blowback when Drexler was traded. Do you think how the way Cronin handled this and the, and the fact that they were able to get so many good young players back, do you think it's going to soften some of the criticism they might have for how Portland handled this? Do you think people are happy in Portland about how the trade went down? I would think the people in Portland are going to be happy because, remember, they didn't make the playoffs the last two years. So it's not like you're breaking up a championship team or anything. And and as good as Dame is, they really haven't had much playoff success the whole time he's been there. So uh, it's always hard to see a great all-star player go. But I think the most important thing with any franchise is to have a direction. They have a solid direction now. They've got a young core. They've got some future picks coming up in addition to their own. And I think the, the, the Blazer fans are savvy. I think more than anything, they just want to know you've got a plan and you're committing to it. Sure, it's always sad to see one of your best players in franchise history move on, 
but hopefully he's moving on somewhere where he, you know, if, if it's like Clyde, maybe he'll, he'll win a championship. And I think the fans will be happy for him because, you know, there can be a deal that's good for both sides. And this certainly has the makings of that. So I want to switch gears a little bit, and you're, I think you're the only person ever to have been the general manager and president of a basketball NBA team and NFL team. And uh, Seattle uh, Seahawks are playing tonight. The NFL, one of the teams that you were that you're the, the president of that team. Talk a little about your time in Seattle with the Seahawks, and where do you think this franchise is going? And, and, and maybe some comments about tonight's big game against the Giants. Well, I mean, uh, it's it's a fun one. My uh, on a personal level, level, my my obviously my son is a giant. Seahawk fan. He grew up with the Seahawks with me, and, and he lives in Seattle. And his wife uh, grew up in New York, and they've got season tickets to the Giants. Oh, so <laughs> their household, I think the little boys are wearing both jerseys. I don't know, but I think Seattle. Uh, um, I think Seattle can make the playoffs this year. Uh, uh, clearly, the class of the division is the 49ers. Uh, I think they're a young team and on the rise. Uh, Geno Smith's turned out to be a very solid quarterback after taking a few laps around the league before he got to Seattle and finally got the opportunity, but um, they're young and they're up and coming. And, and, you know, I, I think they should, should probably be in the nine, 10 win range and, and probably can make the playoffs uh, giants. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I don't think they're a playoff team this year, but uh, you know, anything can happen. Uh, it's a tough place to play. It's a long road trip, but um, I think it, it should be a good Monday night game. So Pete Carroll was the is the coach of the Seahawks. He goes to wins the Super Bowl, loses a game, and, and you would think that you know in terms of his age that he would be done. But what is his ability just to keep uh, relating to these young players and just having this resurgence over the last year or two with the Seahawks? Pete Carroll has the fountain of youth in his backyard. <laughs> I've been trying to sneak over his fence to get a cup of water from that fountain, and and and, and he doesn't let anybody drink from it. Other than than him, he's uh, he's energetic. He's uh, he's enthusiastic. He doesn't age. He just loves players. He loves young players. He relates. He's fun to play for. And um, if he didn't have a birth certificate, you'd have no idea what his age is. He's just he's just a rare breed. So uh, I think guys like playing for him. He keeps the games, the practices fun. He's one of the first guys to be playing music. He's tossing the ball around. Uh, I mean, he, he, he really, he's energetic. He's, he's, he, he stays current, and uh, I, I can't explain it. It's just genuine. It's real. It's fun to watch. So I can't wait to, for read your book about this, but we just found news that Tampa Bay was able to secure their their baseball stadium. Certainly, the uh, the the A's are moving to the, the to Las Vegas, and the Raiders moved. There's been a lot of teams moving. Seattle lost their basketball team to Oklahoma City. I don't know how that happened with such a. If you talk about fan bases, what could be more of a of a great fan base than the Seahawks and the in the, in the Seattle the Sonics had, and also of course the Mariners have. It's just a, it's a surprising that they did lose their basketball team and, and talk. A little about the Seattle fans and and like what I guess you've been working with a group of trying to bring basketball back to Seattle. Sure, yeah, no, it's ironic. Um, when I was with the Sonics, nobody ever dreamed that the Sonics would leave town, and we got involved with the Seahawks because they actually were moving. They were physically in Los Angeles. They they were they had already moved the headquarters to Los Angeles when we got involved, and uh, that was. Probably the, my favorite chapter in the book was how we saved the Seahawks for Seattle. Uh, got the stadium built, uh, and as they say, the rest is history, and that's great. But 
uh, once the Seahawks got saved, kind of without anybody really realizing it, uh, the Sonics left. So we're hopeful now that uh, someday in the near future the NBA decides to expand. Seattle will be one of the cities that will be at the table trying to convince the NBA to, to let us have a team back. Uh, yes, I would love to be involved in that, and I, I would, I'll, I'll be as involved as necessary, whether it's part of ownership, part of management, uh, you want me to go sell popcorn, whatever it might be, I'm 100% committed to helping make that happen because Seattle is a great market. They've embraced the, the NHL team, the Kraken, at levels you can't believe. Uh, they love the Mariners. Obviously, the Seahawks are a no-brainer. And if and when we can get an NBA team back, the Sonics 2.0, I'm absolutely convinced uh, the community will have open arms and will embrace them and uh, if we can get them back, we'll do all the things necessary to make sure they never leave again because Seattle's a great sports market. And and you know that you've been involved in that from from your whole background and your history, which we went through on the on the last show. It's just it's so difficult it, it, to think about you know when a team like Tampa is able with very little fan support actually keep their team, whereas Oakland loses their teams. It, it is that battle and working when you knew you've worked with uh, government, city government, business leaders, fans, doing everything, trying and working with getting building stadiums. It's pretty an amazing career that you've had uh, in, in involved with all that. Yeah, I talked about it in the book. I've been on both sides. I was uh, with the Kansas City Kings when we moved them to Sacramento, and Sacramento was a great market, and it's been well-supported, and it's, it's, it, it deserves a team for sure. But it's also difficult when you have to tell a community we're leaving. Uh, and then I've been on the side where, as I mentioned, the Seahawks were leaving, and we were able to keep them there. So I don't really like to see franchises move. I like to see them uh, supported. I like to see them well-run. I like to see them stay. I like the continuity. And I'm a big believer in if the leagues want to uh, add more teams, do it in a thoughtful way through expansion. I know that's not always the, the ideal way that it gets done, but from a fan's perspective, I would like to see continuity and I'd like to see teams stay put. Uh, it helps you create rivalries, create loyalty, create better fan bases. And I think all around that's good for everybody. Bob, I'm so excited for your book to come out. I'm sure it's going to be available on Amazon. I know the pre-orders are out there, Barnes & Noble, everything. It's called Game Changer, Insider Story of the Sonics Resurgence, Trailblazers Turnaround, and the Deal that Saved the Seahawks. And uh, I really appreciate you coming back on Iron Sports. And I wish you, I cannot wait to read your book, and I wish you the best of luck in the book. Thank you so much, Ira. Bob Whitsett here on Ira on Sports. Great stuff. It's 744. I'm Mike Balsamo. This is the True Oldies channel. Just real quick, NFL, before we move on from that. New England and Dallas. We talked about San Francisco being good. They're going to play Dallas next week. We're going to find out how good Dallas really is. But they demoralized Bill Belichick. That's Bill Belichick's worst loss of his career. They ended up getting Mac Jones pulled. Bailey Zappi's in. Didn't matter. Things are rough in New England. No, it's pretty bad. And it's like one of those things when Brady left and they're like, who's going to who's going to win in this end? And you're like, well, Belichick has a decade left to coach. Brady is 40-some years old. How much more he could play? And to think that Brady could get that Super Bowl championship and then have the two other ones, I think, I feel bad for them. I thought they were close that second year against the Rams. If they would have won that game against the Rams, I think they would have beat the Bengals in the Super Bowl. That would have been amazing at back-to-back. But uh, you know, he's had enough Super Bowls. But I'm just saying is that. But um, it, it's shocking that it actually 
as the as New England just is continually battles to just be a 500 team, and Brady's now retired, it, it, Brady's only goes up in in terms of you know was it Brady or Belichick that debate. So uh, it is frustrating, but we'll see what happens. But this is this is a terrible loss. I mean, they're totally blown out in the again. These are some of these games are over. You turn them on in the middle of the second quarter, and the game's over. Yeah. What are we watching next week? Well, some big the game to watch is Sunday night. Dallas is San Francisco. San Francisco is favorite by three and a half. Baltimore Pittsburgh huge rivalry of course. Baltimore's favorite by four and a half, and the Giants are at Miami. I'm I'm shocked that the line is Miami at nine and a half. After that game, you would, I, I think there could be some hangover from the game of the, the big loss that they would have. I don't know, but about that nine and a half line. But uh, of course, we talked about Jacksonville at Buffalo, which is going to be big, and Philadelphia at the Rams. Philadelphia's favored by four and a half, and Kansas City plays at Minnesota. Uh, we talked to Bob uh, briefly about uh, tonight's game: Seattle Giants kicking off in about a half hour. What do you think is going to happen here? Lines two and a half points uh, in the in the Giants' favor. Giants getting two and a half. For me, I think the Giants could get embarrassed tonight. Um, two best offensive players, Andrew Thomas, left tackle, and Saquon Barkley, obviously running back, are out. I know that Seattle's entire secondary is out, but I just don't trust this offensive line, especially with their anchor out. I think this could be a seven to ten point loss for the Giants. Yeah, I mean, they, they, they. I really, I think Seattle is one of these teams that they're they're two and one. They had a bad opening loss to the game against the Rams, but they beat Detroit, beat Carolina. Um, you're going to see Kenneth Walker, who's a great second year running back, uh, DJ Metcalf, Kyler Lockett, and as uh, Bob Woodson said about Geno Smith, the resurgence of Geno Smith. Geno Smith. This team I, again, Seattle sometimes plays in those markets where people say, "I watched the one." o'clock games we're not going to watch them they're a good team i think yeah i think they're easily going to cover this game and win this game going to uh, ncaa ira's all decked out in his texas gear you can see ira's picks from austin at ira on sports but Tell us a little bit about this game. You'd never been to a game here, so this is all a new experience for you. Yeah, I mean, it's they've only had one national championship in 53 years. The interesting thing about the University of Texas is that they are the premier team in the number one state for football. And one of the criticisms of the of the school and the team, why they have been not as successful as you would think, is because there's high school football stadiums are enormous. Like, when you go in Florida and look around, now we have the best players we think are right around here. But those stadiums look small, they're puny. Yeah. But in Texas, they look like you don't know what where the college starts and the pro begins, <laughs> they're playing in front of 25 Friday Night Lights. That's from Texas. And sometimes I think these players, they're high school, they're built up so much that the best players go to Texas and they've been built up so long and then they sort of, the other teams, the players that are the second and third string that then develop and go to other schools, then like, oh, you've been, you know, super. they've been a superstar since they've been 12 years old and I think that's maybe they're not as tough and that's one of the criticisms. But it was great to go to Austin. It is everything what people say it is. It is like Nashville a little bit. It is like New Orleans. There's two parts of called Sixth Street. You have bars on one side, the West and East. I just love the fact there were a million bars, a million people walking around, um, so much to do, very relaxed. Um, all you know, No one has to be decked out. Uh, I like the fact that the bars were open. It wasn't closed. It, there wasn't like long lines. It was, a, you know, all the security. It, it was good. It was. A, it's, it's a great town, and I love going and, and going to it. I thought that, that aspect, I went there Friday night, and then I went Saturday night. I watched the Charlo Canelo fight afterwards and just walked into a bar. People were watching the fight. It was pretty cool, and it was all, they're all the open so you feel like open because the weather was nice at night so i really like that aspect. everyone raves about austin as a city so glad you got to take it in what about this game because so there's two ranked teams going into it, but Texas ended up looking like the much better squad. Just a little about the stadium first, though. I, I was impressed the fact that they renovated the stadium. I've been to the Ohio Stadium, where Ohio State plays in Michigan and Penn State, of course. These are dumpy stadiums that are falling down. They put a billion dollars in the stadium. It is unbelievable. From the concrete underneath the stadium, it looks beautiful. They have the scoreboard and the club seats on the one side, which is like NFL-type level. It looks like you feel like you're in a, They took a 100,000-seat stadium, and actually, I've been to a, an Alabama, and some of these stadiums look like they're, they're messed up. This looks like a 
really. Now they have bleachers and they put the chair backs in. It's not perfect. It's not an NFL stadium, but they. It is a very nice stadium. The one thing is, it's very it sounds a lot like Columbus in terms of that it's it's a capital of the state. So not everybody's into Texas football. When you go to Auburn, everyone's wearing Auburn gear. Yeah, true. So so it's sort of like Columbus, Ohio, where that where it's not just everything is Texas for the Texas football Kansas game. But I did like they had the Bevo walk where they have the Bevo, the big bull that comes down. And it was amazing and watching that. And then when the players walk in with the band, that was pretty cool. I got to watch all that come in to the stadium. So I like that the band coming out. I mean the Texas band with their song is just that that's pretty good. The eyes of Texas they play. Um, it, it was super hot in the game. And one of the benefits I think Texas has was that on the stadium, like this game should be played at night. It was like 95 degrees. But for TV purposes, they play during the day. And the Texas side, the second half, is in shade. And the Kansas side stayed in sun the entire game, which I think totally tired. Though. And I've ne- it was one of the hottest games. It's like going to a Dolphin game, which they do yeah, the same steam thing. Steam out the opponents. <laughs> yeah. and, and like what I thought is Kansas, they need, you think they're intelligent. They would have been better prepared for the game. They brought like these little tents that you go to like for tailgating. And like Texas had these uh, these futuristic things with the smoke coming out, the cooling, everything. I'm like, Kansas, you guys, like, make it so it's better so you're cooler. And I think that hurt them because they got blown out of the second half. But from the aspect of being in the stadium, I really, I just said, I, I just loved that new stadium. Like, you, you go out in Penn State and you think, oh my God, the state, the girders, it's like, a, it's like a high school stadium on steroids. You walk out of here and it's like, it's a pretty stadium. They really spent money making, making it look nice and uh, very super impressed with how that stadium was set up. Anything else you want to talk about in this game? Oh, just to go over the game, really. I mean, Kansas won this game two years ago in overtime. Uh, Lou Leopold's their new coach who's done an amazing job. and uh, But they were missing the Daniels, their quarterback, this game. And the player I really want to see for Texas is Quinn Ewers, who's their star quarterback. And Quinn Ewers is going to be, people think to be a first-round graphic. I think he's too small. I think you I said he's listed at what? We looked him up 6'2", 194. So you figure he's 6'180". He just looks smaller. Now, I got there super early like I do. I didn't see him throw a lot. They I saw him. Him just walk it. He walked around the entire stadium with like for five minutes. It was pretty cool to watch him get all excited for the game. But the star of the game was Jonathan Brooks, the running back, 21 carries, 218 yards, two touchdowns. And it was like one of those games where Texas, you know, got a field goal. They missed a field goal. They're up 10 nothing. Then Kansas made it 10 seven. And uh, and really the first half it was 13 seven. You're like you're favored by 20 some points. Kansas was undefeated. They were the 24th ranked team in the country. But the second half starts and it's 20 to 14. This Jonathan Brooks had another 54 yard touchdown run. So it's 2014, Texas had a long drive, missed a field goal. So it's 425 left in the third, and you're like, okay, Kansas could pull this upset. Like, this could be great. And on fourth and one, they go for it. They don't get it, and then everything, it just the floodgates broke. Brooks ran for another touchdown. Kansas punted, then another touchdown, and that's where the blowout was. But really, late in the third quarter, it was a tight game uh, to see, you know, about that. And the one thing I'm going to say about Texas, they're the ranked third in the country. The Big 12 is weak this year. They're not, they don't have the teams. Last year, TCU was again, if Texas can avoid any upsets. The next week, they have the game against Oklahoma. They beat Oklahoma, and they're a six-and-a-half-point favorite. They could easily run the table in the Big 12. With, they're, in the, they're in the national championship picture, and that's where it's if Texas is in, if Florida State is going to be in, and then, you have, and then you have one of the Big 10 teams and the Pac-12 teams get in. You have five teams sort of battling for four spots, but Texas is going to, with the win at Alabama, the thing that they have is they went to Alabama and beat Alabama Alabama. So if they go undefeated, they're in. They are in this thing, and that's why when you're looking at Texas, I'd say, why are you at the game? I go, I'm looking at a team that's going to be playing in the playoffs for the national championship. It's 7.52, Ira on sports. True oldies channel on Mike Balsamo. So all we hear about, if, if it's not Taylor Swift on, on ESPN, it's going to be Deion Sanders for sure. We hear that USC can't really play good defense. So I, I don't know how much to take from this game. 48-41 is the final. Too close for comfort, surely, for Lincoln Riley. But this is, to me, 
I don't know what to take from this game. Is, is Colorado good? Can USC just not stop anybody? I don't know. Well, I'm going to take this one. I'm going to take it. was 41 14. I'm watching the game where they're doing the walk outside, which is really cool to walk. You know, so I'm standing in the big screen outside uh, out of the stadium, and I'm watching. It was 41 14, total blowout. And I'm telling you, I think that Colorado won this because there was so much criticism of Oregon for supposedly running up the score the last week. They're saying that's ridiculous. They ran the score. And I think USC was like, we're up 41 14. It's late in the third quarter. Let's just get out of the game. And they took their foot out of the gas, and then Colorado's, and their defense cannot take the foot out. And then offense, they went, they did, they missed a field goal, and Kyle Williams threw an interception, and then suddenly they, it's, it's, it's 48-41. So it really was a blowout of a game, and Kyle Williams had, had thrown for 400 yards, six touchdowns, and I just think they were nervous. They didn't want to, like, embarrass Coach Prime and do all this, and I think it, it hurts. It shows in college football that you have to keep up. So I'm not, but I think it does show that the USC defense, there is question marks with their defense, but I think it was like they helped in terms of the fact that that the Oregon got so much criticism the week before for supposedly running up the score they didn't want to. Next week, Gene Jocks Taylor, who was writing a book, it's coming out next week called Coach Prime. He's a great writer. He's going to be on the show, and he's he was embedded with the program of Jackson State last year. I cannot wait to have him on the show. He's a he's a he's one of the best writers, and we'll have him as a guest on the show. Uh, real quick here, we got to fly through what's some of the other. Uh... Uh, college football scores that, that matter because there's a lot of lopsided games outside of Notre Dame and Duke, which turned into a pretty good game. Yeah, I mean, in terms of Riley Leonard, the Duke quarterback who got injured, Notre Dame kept that tight. It was one of the other games I was potentially going to go to, but boy, Duke's program has been fantastic. They want to be a football school now. Yes, Their I mean, it's great. Is nicer than two thirds of the NFL. It's beautiful. <laughs> well, they have the money from their basketball, <laughs> but it was like from for Notre Dame to come in there, you know, another big game. You know, I I was I thought the game was going to be close because they had such a it was the USC game the week before, but then for Notre Notre Dame to go on the road and play now another tough game against Duke. Good win for them, 21-14. The rest of the scores are pretty much just lopsided. Well, I think in the SEC, though not lopsided so much, the Georgia-Auburn game shocked me. I couldn't believe that Auburn, Auburn to me, what I've looked has been terrible, but I, they only won by a touchdown, and I think that puts question mark in Georgia is that I'm starting to I could have a little bit doubts on Georgia in that game. And the fact that I see Texas, but of all the teams right now, I think I like Michigan in terms of how they're playing. But Alabama beat Mississippi State. But Alabama just is now, you know, they had that bad loss and they think they're struggling, but then they come back and they have wins against Mississippi and Mississippi State. The LSU-Mississippi game was crazy because LSU's running around saying, we should be, you know, we're going to win the SEC. Now they have two losses. They have this lot, you know, losing 55-49. They have no defense whatsoever. But the big game, Florida-Kentucky. Now Florida goes in the game 3-1. and one. They're number 22 in the country. And to lose now 33, their big win over Tennessee, and then to come and lose to Kentucky, 33-14. Billy Napier is not doing well right there. And then there was, you know, the SEC had those other big games in terms of Tennessee was able to beat South Carolina 41 to 23, and Texas A&M beat Arkansas by 12. Um, in the Big Ten. It's a game that mattered. I mean, I'll tell you what, Michigan looks good. They beat Nebraska 45 to 7, and they are playing like the best team in the country. And I think if they weren't, they were number one when the season started. It doesn't matter. They, but I'm nervous as a Penn State fan. Penn State beat Northwestern. Who cares? The game was actually closer. I was following the score. I couldn't even believe that they were closer than Northwestern. And then the Pac 12, the team that I keep saying is so great, Washington, they actually struggled against Arizona and only won by a touchdown. And I did watch on uh, Friday night, Utah, St Utah beat Oregon State. Um, Utah lost Oregon State. 
State 21-7. And that just shows you how tough the Pac-12 is. I mean, it's just a great conference. And, and Oregon blew out Stanford 42-6. Uh, to six. Oregon's a team. I mean, that, there is definitely going to be at least one team from the Pac-12 that's going to be in the college football playoff with a good chance to win. Uh, but that was from that perspective. And Miami and Florida State both had the week off. Saturday afternoon, I put a futures bet in on Washington. So I was expecting that letdown. Oh, come on. Don't Washington. worry about it. Michael Penix is great. 20-1 and, to one. So, to win it all. <laughs> next week, I'll tell you what. Next week, Georgia's a 14-point favorite of Kentucky. Uh, Michigan is favored by 20 over Minnesota. The Texas-Oklahoma game is the game. It's a, it's a crucial game. And Ohio State's favorite. I'll tell you what. I'm gonna, I would bet the house on this game. Ohio State is favored by 20 over Maryland. Maryland is to his brother. They're not bad. Like, I think that's – I couldn't believe that line. It should be a 10-point, not 20-point line. Take Maryland and the points in that game. And I'll give you another game that I absolutely love. Uh, uh, Notre Dame at Louisville. Louisville, Notre Dame is giving seven points. But Louisville's undefeated, and they're playing home, and they're a good team. And I think Notre Dame, after two tough weeks, is going to go in there and struggle in that game. So I like them with the points. And Washington State at UCLA. I like Cam Ward. The quarterback for Washington State is so good, and they're undefeated, and they're playing at UCLA. I think UCLA is starting a freshman quarterback. They're favored in this game. Like, Washington State should be favored in this game. It's just the name Washington State. So I really like Washington State in that game. So some intriguing, some fun games next week. Uh, what's going to happen? 7.57. I can't believe time got away from us so badly here. we got to talk a little Ryder Cup. And... If you're anything like me, you woke up on Friday and the Ryder Cup was over. And you look <laughs> like, like, what just happened here? It wasn't good. Captain's picks, 4, 12, and 4. That's terrible um, on Zach Johnson's part. And there's also some other shenanigans we're hearing coming out about hats and stuff. Like, it, it, it's kind of become a circus, and Team America just didn't play good. Team America, they were down, as you said, 4 nothing after the first uh, first morning. They don't start Brooks Kepka, so you have your star player, Brooks Kepka, you don't start start him. They lose four, and they weren't in any of the matches. And the yeah. way they did is they have called, they're called four sums, not four four balls. Four balls means you play your, you play, keep playing your ball, whoever wins the hole. Four sums is an alternate shot, and the Europeans used all this analytics to do this, and it works out because they have been dominating us in four. They're now seven and one, they went seven and one in four sums, and are the last 24 points in the last three Ryder Cups in Europe, they've now won 20 of the 24 points. So America was not prepared for that. Zach Johnson looked lost out there. I mean, he looks so unmotivating as a captain. But look, Europe was out there. They went and practiced before um, at, on the on the course. They've been there. Not all the Americans have played on the course. They just, All the Europeans were forced to play in September in a match, in a, in a European event. None of the Americans, some of them haven't played in two months. So I think that hurt them. And then in the four, so going back to the four ball player, then after Friday, then they were up six and a half to one and a half. And then the foursomes, then the worst thing is on Saturday morning, it was it was absolutely uh, um, uh, just awful in terms of in the morning time in the period that Hovland and Adberg, who is a rookie, beat Scheffler and Brooks Kepka nine and seven, which means they won nine out of the 11 holes. It was the worst loss in the yep. history of the Ryder Cup. And so they're up nine and a half to two and a half. Rory McIlroy was dominating. And the only mistake that Rory made the whole time was on Saturday, where I thought it could actually be at 11 and a half to four and a half. They only need 14 and a half to win. And he actually, they Candlelight came back and won the last two holes to even it up. But it was at that point. And then on Sunday, you know, I'm driving and listening to the radio. And I did think my other commentary about this was that the TV and radio, they were making it out like we're playing Russia. Like these players on the Europeans, like we root for them. Like Rory McIlroy, Victor Hovland, John Rupp. Like they're not, like it's hard to say. Like they live here. Like yeah. after they, they go, boy, the Europeans are going to be staying in Europe and America's going to come back. And like, no, they all get on one plane. They all live in Jupiter. Yeah. They can go to the West Palm Beach <laughs> Airport on the yeah, private jet. they go to jet. Thousand North and get 
get dinner all yeah, together when they get back. They don't live. They're not like living in in Hudson. <laughs> it's in, not nineteen eighties Russian. Yes, it's USA. ridiculous. But I do think there is an aspect of how like, and you hear all this America. Like, so America didn't like the fact that Cantley. I have to criticize Patrick Cantley on this because. The issue is he didn't wear a hat, and he always wears a hat. And then someone said, well, I'm not going to wear a hat if I don't get paid to wear a hat. Then the other excuse was he doesn't. He felt the hat was uncomfortable. And my comment is that if that, there has to be some smoke with fire where there's smoke. Because if the hat, if he doesn't really like wearing a hat, I don't care what he gets paid. Then don't you're playing golf. Go to the pro shop and buy a hat. <laughs> <laughs> but if, if, he, if his rule is that I never want to wear hats, and the only reason I wear hats is I get paid to wear hats, that's pretty stupid because you're out there trying to win. You're not. A, it's not a PGA world that you have to wear a hat. Then don't wear a hat. Then take a little less money because you win more money playing than wearing your stupid hat like so i don't that makes no sense and if you said the hat doesn't fit of course you could find a hat from all these sponsors and everything to wear a hat and so the european fans kept like tipping their hat when they never hats and then the americans said we're going to show loyalty so we're not going to wear hats so some american players on sunday did not wear hats because they wanted to show loyalty patrick Kennedy for not but if you wear a hat should you wear what you're comfortable wearing the whole thing is ridiculous it's weird and then Kinley has got married today now i'm thinking you're at the Ryder cup you're focused on the Ryder cup what are you doing getting married the day after the Ryder cup how much focus do you have that you're going to get married that day after? So I, I, I I'm just bizarre. saying it, it was bizarre. Then Shoffley, then comments from Xander Shoffley's father that came out said that Shoffley, they're nervous that they were through the Netflix special. They weren't getting getting cut of the money. All these other excuses. Everyone's complaining about this. And then the Royer's getting Rory got in a fight with Joe Lacava when they celebrated. It just seems there's so much noise around American team. But you look at Rom and you look at Hovland who played great and Rory they played great. It's something about I have to say is that there's this. Focus. There was a there was more of a focus from the uh, European team in terms of how and how they worked and how they did the analytics and how they worked the younger players in. I thought America like we now know that it, we're just even with these are sometimes no name they're not no name players. So I thought America was be ready to play, but to get just totally trounced in this shows that I don't know how they're ever going to win. And, and they've now lost what is it seven in a row? They've lost seven yeah. straight Ryder Cups outside the United States. And I don't know when they're ever going to win one. Going to baseball, congratulations. Miami Marlins did what they had to take down the stretch. Heading back to the playoffs for the first time since the uh, 2020 season. I'm looking at this, and of course, you've got the teams at the top, namely the Dodgers and the Braves, who are very good baseball teams. But I can make a case for about half of these other teams. And I'm telling you, at, at plus 1,600, I think there's a really strong shot that Toronto could pull this off. I think that the Phillies could pull this off as much as Marlins fans don't want to hear that. And the Marlins and Diamondbacks are 35 to 1. I think they've got a shot too. I'm I'm more just fading like Milwaukee and and Minnesota at this point. I think everyone else is alive. Well, I can't believe that Houston was able to get in and actually win the division. What a collapse from Texas when they really just yeah. needed to do anything that to get in. That division went back and forth for a month. Oh, my. That was crazy. But, I, yeah, it is one of those things where you saw the Phils in the World Series. And they, remember, they start now the best of three. They're, they play it in one place. So the National League, the Marlins are at the Phils for the best of three. Arizona, Milwaukee for best of three. And then the American League, Toronto's at Minnesota for best of three. And Rangers at, Tor- at Tampa for the best of three. Then they play best of five and best of seven. You do like the baseball playoffs is it gets over like in three weeks or four weeks. Mm-hmm. It's all done. Not not the NBA that goes for two Three and a half months. weeks. Yeah, yeah that's ridiculous. <laughs> uh, we, we happen to both watch Canelo versus Charlo, I think, on Saturday night. I wasn't really impressed with that. I'm not a big boxing guy to begin with, but this wasn't an f- exciting fight. I'll tell you one thing. This was unbelievable. So they went, Charlo went up from two weight classes. They were both, they hold all the titles, and one is junior world middleweight, and the other is super middleweight, and they both hold all the titles. And I, this match was like a three-to-one. Canelo was a favorite, but not that heavy a favorite. But one of his sparring partners said, Canelo's getting old, he's getting slow, he's terrible, he's this and this. Well, Canelo came in. When I saw that he came out and took his shirt off, and his abs were ripped, I'm like, he's ready to go. And Charlo, I could not believe. The thing is, Canelo's always starts slow. He doesn't fight. He takes the first three, four runs out. But Charlo 
Canelo didn't throw a punch for the first four rounds. Canelo was able to win that. It was like one of those things where he realized he was going to lose. Big win for Canelo. He's a great fighter to watch. I, I, he does draw fans in because people at the bar are watching it. But he's so strong and so good. And, and it was like, but Charlo, I, for such a big fight, so publicized for it, for him not to give a better performance, really disappointing. We are out of time. Thanks so much to Bob Witsit. He's Ira. I'm Mike. Let's talk next Monday night. Iron Sports.